This is Psalms to God, Season 5, Episode 8, The Debt Ceiling. You can find the show notes for this episode at www.psalmstogod.com. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life, as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body, as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather crops into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single day to his lifespan? And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor, nor do they spend thread for cloth. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, do not worry then, saying, what are we to eat, or what are we to drink, or what are we to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34 in ASB. Welcome back to the Psalms to God podcast. This is your host, Ree, and today we're going to take a break from talking about crucial conversations and about how we communicate, and we're going to actually have a crucial conversation. Now, I have a couple of other podcast episodes that I really want to get out, but this topic hit me hard this week, and as I was thinking about it and talking about it and going through it, um, it really occurred to me that I should do this episode now and that we should talk about this now and everything else can wait. So today we're going to be talking about the economic crisis that's looming over our heads and how it relates to prophecy and what people are saying. And when we get to that part, you'll see why I think it's important that we talk about it. So I think I've mentioned um, in previous episodes that I recently relocated. So I had to sell my house and I've been looking for a new house, um, which has been quite the struggle because I really liked the house that I had before. Um, and I, part of my relocation, I will have to go into work um, more often. And that means I need to live closer to my actual job as opposed to having, you know, like a more fully remote or, you know, one day a week type of a thing. 
And so that means I need to live closer into the city. Um, I have a strong preference for living out in the country. I'm a country girl. Um, and then again, uh, the country is farther away from my job. So it it's been hard because finding things that I like, finding, you know, space, places where I can garden. I really would love to have just, you know, like a nice, you know, acreage where I can have like some chickens and, and some animals and, you know, basically I want to be a farmer, but I don't have enough money to support myself as a farmer. Um, that's, that's the real issue that I have looking for a house. But just the housing market is crazy. If, if you are in the market or if you've been around the market or if you have friends in the market and you've heard their stories, the housing market is insane right now. And the interest rates have been going up and up and up. And, you know, it it really hurt because I had a 2.75 interest rate on my mortgage in Texas. And now interest rates are like in the sevens. And I'm like, why did I sell my house? I should have stayed there. What is wrong with me? You know, and you're having this kind of like <laughs> this little crisis of like, what am I doing? Um, and just when I finally found something that I think that I would be happy with here, um, we ended up with the situation of the debt crisis and whether or not they're going to pass some sort of resolution or whether we're going to default. And if we default, the interest rates are going to go through the roof. And that's going to be a horrible, horrible thing for those of us trying to buy a house. And of course, um, the thing that I would find would be something that is uh, new construction and it's not it's not ready yet. So um, I can't close until it's done being built. And so yeah, so I'm sitting here like, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? So this past week, you know, it's been a lot of conversations with the bank, with my parents, with uh, myself, and with God, most important conversation, um, about what's gonna happen and what that means for me and, and, and what I've, you know, this contract that I've entered myself into. And of course, as I'm going through that and I'm, I'm thinking about that, um, I've seen multiple people post online, Christian YouTubers um, who deal more in talking about current events and prophecy and stuff, talking about the collapse of the government. And some of them talking about how, you know, they've been saying for years that this is what's going to happen, that this is the great reset, that, you know, um, and just talking about all of the problems with the debt ceiling and, and things like that. And it's not that I think that they're wrong. I think there's a lot wrong with the way our government has been structured. I think there's a lot that is pushing us towards, you know, this one world government. You you do in order to have a one world government, the other governments have to fizzle out and that does it, it makes sense that it would start here. And if you study prophecy, it really makes sense that it would start here in the United States. I keep saying here. I'm sorry for those of you who are not in the United States and have no idea what I'm talking about or feel alienated when I say that. I am not forgetting about you. I love you too. It's just I'm American and sometimes we forget about other people because we're brainwashed and that's kind of how they raise us. I'm working on it. I'm sorry. Um, but 
the, you know, it's, it's definitely disheartening. Um, but a lot of these, these YouTubers make it even more disheartening because they're, you know, they're talking about it. And, you know, if you were somebody who just stumbled upon their channel for the first time and they're talking about this and you're like, but I have a mortgage and I haven't paid it off and I can't pay it off and what am I going to do? And, you know, all these things. And there's a lot of, I feel like for time immemorial, people have been putting kind of like this fear and this, this stigma on end time prophecy. And I remember being a child and being like super afraid of the end of the world. I used to have nightmares about the end of the world. Um, and I remember one time somebody asked me if, you know, if I found a genie, what would my three wishes be? And I was like, I would wish that the end of the world doesn't happen. And I look back on myself at that age and I'm like, oh my goodness, I was so lost. Like, I was a believer. I, I was a Christian. I went to church. And, you know, I, I thought I was where I was supposed to be, but people had failed me. Um, because I, I mean, first of all, if I saw a genie, I should run because a genie is, comes from gin, which is basically like a type of demon from like Arab mythology. Like there's a whole thing about that, that like, I shouldn't be taking wishes from a genie in the first place. Like that's, that's some sorcery right there. So first of all, child me should have been like, no, run, red flag. Um, but also like the end of the world is the victory for the for the most high and for the messiah like that is us as believers that's our victory no i want that to happen i want there to be peace i want i want it to come like it's got to get worse before it gets better but once it comes there will be no more suffering there will be no more pain there will be no more crying there will be no more tears there will be no more of these hypocritical people there will be no more you know, priests raping kids, there will be no more child abuse, there will be no more hunger, there will be no more homelessness, no more mental illness or, or mental health um, issues. There will be no more bickering. We will all love each other. We will all respect each other. Like, I want that. I want that. <laughs> I just don't want to go through the hard part to get there. No one does. Um, but you know, that's where I was. And that's directly related to one, I didn't understand it. And two, the church didn't bother really explaining it or they, they focused on the parts that were scary. And I see that in a lot of the content that I have consumed, particularly since like 2020, since COVID, people were scared and people, you know, started talking about how it related to the end times and what was happening. And then suddenly it started morphing into this kind of like prepare statement right there. You have the people who are trying to prepare financially and you have the people who are trying to prepare like physically. They're like, yeah, you got a garden and you got to stockpile your food and all of these things. And I even had a friend who kind of got caught up in that and was like stockpiling food in their pantry and stuff. And I'm like, so what happens when God tells you you have to flee and you have to leave all that food behind. Because let's be real, the only way, I mean, like, if you have to flee, even if you take your car, 
unless you got like a camper or something, how are you going to fit? Like my car is definitely smaller than my pantry. I could not fit everything in my pantry in my car. Um, And even if I could, like some of the things are things you need to cook. Like, are you going to eat cold, cold beans, cold vegetables, cold soup? Like, what do you have in the pantry that that you can carry with you that you can eat? Or are you going to take a hot plate with you? What are you going to plug it into? Do you like did you also buy a hot plate that you can plug into the cigarette letter or something like I'm not sure. But then more importantly, if there's a target on believers backs, you do know that any modern car has a tracker in it and you should probably get rid of it. You should get rid of your phone. You should get rid of your computer, anything electronic. Uh, when the mark of the beast goes out, you should probably stay away from because it's, it's going to track you and they're going to find you. So realistically speaking, when the mark of the beast hits and you can't buy or sell, which means you cannot pay your rent, you cannot pay your mortgage, even if you've paid off your mortgage, you cannot pay the taxes, the water bill, the electric bill, they can condemn your property because you haven't been paying these things. They put a lien on your property because you haven't been paying these things. Um, Yeah, it sounds like you're going to have to flee and you really shouldn't flee in your car because they're going to track you, but also you probably couldn't have paid the taxes on your car either and you won't be able to buy gas. Um, So, you know, unless you stockpile gas to fill up your car, you're going to have a problem getting very far in the car. Um, But you really should get go on like horseback or foot or bike um, because that's not as trackable. you know, I'm just saying. And if you take any of those modes of transportation, that's even less of these things that you've prepared that you can take with you. So to me, I'm just like, I, I think that's the wrong type of preparation to to go into. And as I was thinking about it, I started trying to think of what the Bible said, right? Because it's not supposed to be about what I think or what they think. It's about what the Bible says. And so I started thinking and... The first passage that came to my mind was about, uh, was was to try to support those types of mentalities. And the passages that came to my mind for that were the the passages about the 10 virgins. There were five wise virgins and five foolish virgins. The five foolish virgins did not have their oil. And so they had to run out in the middle of the night to get oil for their lamps. And so when the groom came, they weren't there. And they basically get like locked out of the ceremony and miss their own wedding. And of course, in this parable, the groom is Christ and the the bride is the church. And we don't want to be the ones who went out to get oil in the middle of the night. We want to be there ready for him. But the point of this parable is to say be ready for him when he comes um i know it says he's coming like a thief in the night but he's coming like a thief in the night to to non-believers not believers we we're gonna we're gonna see the signs we're not gonna be surprised that he came they're gonna be surprised so that's where it's like we should be prepared and i think this has a lot more to do with faith and your, your brain and how you think. And I'm going to get to that near the end of the episode because I want to keep going with the verses and things like that. But remember that, remember that when we come back to it. So the other 
passages that I would say support this idea of um, preparation or that I think people would use about preparation is Genesis, when you talk about like Noah and the ark, uh, God came down and told Noah what was going to happen. And he told him to prepare, prepare an ark. And of course, they built this ark, took literally hundreds of years for Noah to build the ark. And then uh, they put the animals on it. Uh, Assumably, there was food on there for both Noah and his family, as well as the animals. So there was definitely a lot of preparation that came into that. Um, And then, of course, the other scenario that I would think of is when the Most High gave Joseph the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream, and they realized that they were talking about seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine, and they prepared for the famine. These would be the examples that I would say, yeah, you know, there is a time where the Most High said, be prepared for the worst. And he sent a prophet or somebody to make way for this preparation. Um, so there, there are those examples. However, I think there's, there's certain things to look at in those examples. Number one, um, with the Ark you know, Noah was the only one, Noah was the only one um, that was constructing the ark. I guess his family may have helped him or probably helped him. Um, But it's not like individuals everywhere were building boats on their own. Um, And so I'm not sure if that's a direct parallel. Um, There's also the fact that in, I mean, even in, uh, the the situation of Joseph it's still one person who said hey we're gonna do this and he did it in a corporate situation like so Joseph interpreted the dream of Pharaoh and then Joseph came up with this idea and Joseph was put in charge of doing this and then people from all over reaped the benefit of Joseph storing up basically this community situation and I mean I think people, I mean, people had to pay for the grain. Um, So it, the individuals within the city, I'm not sure how many people had stored up money to pay for the grain, et cetera, et cetera. Um, It's just that we're seeing a a governmental level, right, of, of preparation, which again, I think is slightly different from individuals storing up treasures for themselves which brings me to the other verses that I think of that come to mind would be like the the rich man who storehouses were bursting at the seams and he told all of his servants to build bigger warehouses to house his stuff and God tells him that he's gonna die that night and he never really gets to enjoy any of it and the whole point is that he was storing up treasures on earth as opposed to storing up treasures in heaven. You also have situations like the Exodus. And I feel like the Exodus is so close to in time. Like there's so much in the Exodus. I love the story of the Exodus because there's the parallels and the, I mean, it's 
it's, it points to the gospel, right? You can go through Exodus and explain the gospel and you can look at the gospels and draw a line straight back to the Exodus and, and what happened in the Exodus. But it also serves as an allegory for individual believers, how we leave sin or Egypt and we go through our trials and tribulations, our wilderness and try to get to salvation, which is the promised land. And so it it parallels a lot of those things and it parallels the end times as well. You have the, the um, Israelites in Egypt in bondage, just like believers are in spiritual Babylon, we're in the world is bondage. And then, you know, they're trying to get out, but they're when, you know, Pharaoh won't let them out. And so these plagues rang down on them, which again, you have all of the plagues that are discussed in Revelation. And then finally, they're let go, but not really. He still comes after them. And there's kind of like this battle, but it's quickly won because God steps in and parts the Red Sea and then dumps the sea on the Egyptian army. And, you know, it's kind of a similar thing that he will come in and he will swoop in and save the day. Um, and then in the end of it, we'll end up in the promised land. But in between, you know, escaping and getting to the promised land, Israel ends up stuck in the wilderness for 40 years because of their non-belief. And in my early years, I used to think that this story was insane because you have these people who literally saw miracles of God. I mean, they saw the Red Sea part. They saw the pillar of cloud. They saw the pillar of fire, right? They heard the thunderings. Some people heard him speak and some people heard thunderings. Um, so they really, like, the fear of God was there. They saw it. And they still doubted. They still had trouble believing. And, like, as a modern person, you're like, how in the world did they have trouble but I think, number one, the same way we rationalize things today by science, I think they did the same thing. I think they rationalized things away. Oh, the coincidence. Oh, this was that. Um, the same way we do these things today. And we trivialize the miracles that we actually see God perform all the time. I also think that they were complacent. And I think that we too, particularly those of us who were born and raised in the United States, are complacent. One of the things that woke me up to the real issue that will be upon us at the end times came from the book of Exodus. There is a time where the Israelites start complaining because they want meat. And there's another time that they complain and they're talking about how they had all of these different things in Egypt to eat and they don't have them in the wilderness. Mind you, the Most High was feeding them daily. He was giving them manna straight from the sky and they had nothing to worry about when it came to food. However, manna is not whatever they were having in Egypt and it definitely wasn't meat. It was some sort of vegetarian or vegan uh, dish. And I think about how in the United States, we have horrible food. It's not food. I don't know why I'm even calling it food. We have this this stuff that we put in our mouth and pretend is food. And we eat a lot of things that are not good for us. 
but they taste good. Fries and pizza and burgers and, you know, all of the stuff that you know is not good for you that you continue to eat. In fact, literally like a week, two weeks ago, I was talking to my parents and they had gone out and gotten milkshakes and they were feeling sick. Everybody in my family is lactose intolerant. None of us can drink milkshakes. And yet my parents go out and get milkshakes all the time. And my dad was talking about how sick it made him. And he was like, I don't know. He was like, but she always wants to go get milkshakes. And I always go and I let her talk me into it. And I was like, mama, why do you do this? And she's like, I know they make me sick too, but I just love them and they taste good. And so I just, I just want to drink them anyway. And I was like, why do we do that? Why do we do that to ourselves? We know, and I do the same thing. I mean, I don't drink milkshakes, but there are certain things that I'm like, I shouldn't have this. I'm like that with cheese. Cheese breaks my face out. I get acne. If you know me in person and you ever come up to me and I have zits all over my face, I've had a lot of cheese. (laughs) (laughs) And I know this. I know I should not eat cheese. If I don't eat cheese, I could have flawless skin. But cheese is good, especially fried cheese. Like mozzarella sticks are delicious, right? And I'm like, clear skin or mozzarella sticks? Mozzarella sticks it is. (laughs) Why does my brain do that? A lot of the food that they feed us has been engineered. And now... They're telling us, because if you read the label, it says contains a bioengineered ingredient. But not even just engineered in that sense, but just, you know, they're hacking our brains. Things like sugar, caffeine, MSG, all of these things are addictive. They make you want more. Even salt, to a certain extent, um, can make you want more. I heard a rumor. I do not know if this is true. I have not fact-checked it. Do not bet your life, money, or any other thing on this fact but I heard that they put salt and I think Dasani um, because it makes you thirstier and makes you want more water so you're drinking the water but the water makes you want more water and it makes sense because um, anything that's salty I typically have trouble stopping fries popcorn chips right you just want more and more of it there's this this kind of addictive quality to these foods and they give them to you and you become hooked on it. Um, One of those things would be things like caffeine definitely, right? So if you drink coffee or soda, if you stop, there are withdrawal symptoms the same way there are withdrawal symptoms to drugs. And so, I mean, just imagine, you know, you're, you're, you're leaving Egypt, you're leaving bondage, you're leaving sin, you're on your way to the promised land, to freedom. And, you know, day two hits and you haven't had your coffee and you're angry and your head is hurting and you're tired and you just, you're still walking, you'd be cranky. You'd want to go back to get your coffee. At least they got Starbucks in Babylon, right? That is exactly the type of mentality that we need to be guarding against. That is what we need to be preparing for. That is the spiritual we have oil, right? We need to be ready to let go of the world. Now is the time to be detaching yourself from the material things of the world, from the sugar, from the caffeine, from the things that are going to make you want to stay. Now is the time to accept that if you have a mortgage, 
you're not going to be able to pay it when they issue the mark of the beast. If you don't have a mortgage, but you live in an apartment, you're not going to be able to pay rent. If you paid off your mortgage, you're not going to be able to pay your water bill or your light bill or your taxes. So you might still get kicked out of your house, right? There are a lot of things that we might have to give up if things go south. And it's scary. People don't want to hear that. You would rather hear that you can save up enough money or you can not get into this debt or that debt. Um, But for some people, it's too late. Okay? And, I mean, I don't mean too late for salvation. Note. I'm talking about too late to pay off the debt. (laughs) Um, Very, very important distinction there. Um, But it's a lot easier. We, We think we can do something to make it better. But the fact is, we have to trust on in the most high. We cannot be storing up treasures on earth because somebody on YouTube said that it was a good idea and we're afraid of what's coming. If you're doing something out of fear, it is not the right thing. I'm gonna repeat that. If your motivation for whatever it is that you're doing is fear, it is not of God because fear is not of God. The time is of hand to be of faith. This is what we should be building now, is our faith. And what we should be really focused on is detaching from the material, learning to have less, learning to be okay with not having the comfort things, getting out of complacency, making sure that you're going to be okay when that call comes and they say, go into the wilderness and you sitting in the wilderness and he's giving you manna and you haven't had your coffee, you haven't had your good food, you can't watch Netflix, you don't have a cell phone, you know, you might not even have any showers out there. I gotta be real. Like, it's not gonna be, it's not necessarily gonna be a beautiful, glorious experience um, during that time. Now, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. I know we started off talking about the debt ceiling and if, you know, they default and if there's an economic crisis. I'm not saying that overnight we're all going to be homeless and in the wilderness. That's not what I'm saying. Possible, but not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that be mindful when you go out and you hear people talking about it, not to let them put you in a state of fear and not to let them put you in this mindset that you have to store up treasures here to be prepared. That what you really need to do is focus on your relationship with the Most High, focus on your faith, focus on your relationships with fellow believers. Now is a great time to form networks with other believers so that if things do go wrong, you have support systems, you have people you can go through it with, people you can trust, people who are not going to rat you out. Um, Because boy, COVID pointed out some of the people I know, there's some people I know when the mark hit, they're going to be the first people to rat people out. I'm just saying, now is the time to weed out who you can trust and who you can't. And to focus on growing spiritually. Um, Now would be a great time to memorize Bible verses. I do believe that there will be a time where you can't read the Bible freely because, again, like I said, when the mark gets issued, they're going to condemn 
the most high. They're going to not want us to worship the most high and the Messiah in its true form. There will be a counterfeit version of Christian. There's already a counterfeit version of Christianity. Guys, this is getting long. I'm sorry. There's so much in prophecy. Let me know if you guys want me to go in detail about some of the things that I've been kind of mentioning and not going into depth about. But I'm going to end this right here because I think I've said the bulk of what needs to get expressed and I hope it's helpful for you. I will have show notes up on the blog that tries to go into a lot of this in more detail and I hope that that's helpful for you guys. As always, you can always reach out and let me know if there are things that you want me to clarify, things that you want me to go over. Um, Yeah, so good luck, keep the faith, and I will see you guys next time. Bye.